Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church on this 4th of July weekend. Hope you're all having a great summer so far. It is a joy to be with you all this morning, and welcome to folks who are watching online. But today we begin a new series called Blessed, and we're going to discover what Jesus has to say about living a blessed life. One of the things that we're going to find as we begin to unpack the Beatitudes in the, in the next weeks um, that are coming along is that Jesus is in the happiness business. So let me ask you, how happy are you? How happy are you? What is your image of a, of a happy life? Is it the American dream? Is it owning your own home, having two kids and a dog? Uh, is it um, being debt-free, um, enjoying your job maybe? I mean, all of those are great goals, right? Or maybe your happiness is tied in with the place you go. Uh, for some, maybe a great hiking trail. For others, a, a wonderful shopping spree. Uh, maybe it's um, a, a theater or a great restaurant or a day at the beach, especially in a day like today. Or maybe your happiness comes to the people you're with. Or maybe happy, being happy is contingent um, upon a change of circumstances, like maybe the, uh, a job change, for example, or the restoration of your health, or a change in your finances, or, or in a, a new romance. Whatever it is, if you were to answer the question, I would be happier if, how would you answer? I've been reading some surveys lately, and apparently, uh, our country, we, we like to do a lot of surveys, and uh, one of those is a happiness factor, how our country rates with other countries. And um, one of the articles on the internet said that many of us aren't as happy as we would like to be, which may surprise some people considering that we have so much in our culture, um, and yet we aren't deeply happy. There's a restlessness within. And our culture is also very big on telling us what will make us happy. You know, you just watch the advertising, right? I mean, the, the messaging comes through loud and clear. Here's what will make you happy. A bigger home, a nicer wardrobe, a, a fatter wallet, a, a thinner body, a sportier car, <laughs> a new romance. That sentiment is really expressed in so many places. When Michael Jordan retired, and many of you remember he used to play for the Chicago Bulls, but when he retired, the owner of the Chicago Bulls made this statement. He said, he's living the American dream. And then he went on to define that. He said, the American dream is to reach a point in your life where you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, and you can do everything you do want to do. <laughs> And that may be the American dream, but it is so different from Jesus' dream as expressed in Matthew chapter 5. Here, Jesus gives us a blueprint for a happy life in a, in a passage that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is Jesus' most famous sermon, and it begins with a section called the Beatitudes. Now, while the Old Testament ended with the threat of a curse. The New Testament begins with the promise of a blessing. It says, blessed are, or happy are, or it could read, oh, the blessedness of uh, those who live the life that, that Jesus describes. And that word blessed, that word comes from the Greek word makarios, 
makarios, which appears like 50 times in the New Testament. It means to be happy. It's the closest translation to that Greek word. It means to be happy. And that's really what the Beatitudes are all about. They, are the, they teach us the be happy attitudes that make life worth living. But this passage should come with a warning because it's a little shocking. God views this world through a very different lens that implies a whole new approach to life. When we read the Beatitudes, we would almost get the impression that God seems to prefer the poor and those who mourn to the Fortune 500 crowd. We, we would almost get the impression that he'd prefer Skid Row to 7th Avenue. Matthew chapter 5, just to set a little bit of context, one day, shortly after Jesus had set out on his public ministry, he took the disciples up to a mountain slope, and there, with great expectation, his disciples sat there among the boulders and the brush with anticipation, waiting for what Jesus um, would say. And I imagine that they did have great anticipation because leading up to this time, their nation of Israel had been greatly oppressed by the Roman Empire. And everywhere they looked, it it was not hard to miss. (laughs) Everywhere they looked, um, they were reminded of the power and, and might of this oppressive force that subjected them to severe uh, taxation and humbling servitude. Their hope had been that, that one day the long-awaited Messiah would come and would deliver them from their oppressors and set up his kingdom in their generation. That had been their hope. And now their Messiah was here. Their hopes for the future would be for them. And so what strategies, they may have wondered, what strategies would Jesus lay out? What secrets would he share for their future action? Eagerly, I imagine, they hung on to every word. And Jesus opened his mouth and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I picture them looking a little dumbstruck. Blessed are the what? <laughs> the poor in spirit? I mean, that's the best you've got for us? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, after all, isn't it the person who's full of fire, who's full of ideas, who's full of passion, who's full of spirit, who will uh, turn upside, uh, society upside down and, and make the difference? I mean, that doesn't sound like success. I mean, they had to have been dumbstruck. They couldn't have fathomed what Jesus was trying to lay out here, especially when you consider that James and John were nicknamed sons of thunder. I mean, if someone objected to what they were doing, they'd want to call down fire. (laughs) You don't like what we're doing? Just burn them up, God. All the disciples leading up to Christ's crucifixion wrangled and argued over who would be the greatest. Even Peter was uh, ready to carry a sword if if the occasion called for a good fight. I mean, it had to stun them a little because in a world that applauds power and self assurance, blessed are the poor, I mean, it had to have been a bit of a shock. It is for us. But Jesus is teaching about what will ultimately bring 
true happiness. And in a world that says, happy are the pushers, for they will surely succeed. Happy are the complainers, for they'll surely get their way. Happy are the tough-minded, for they will never let life hurt them. Blessed are the poor in spirit? Doesn't resonate very well. But it makes total sense that this is where Jesus started because it's a starting point for everything. Because here's what Jesus know and knows and what his disciples would need to know and what we need to know it is, is that it is only the poor in spirit or, or the person who recognizes their need for God who's willing to repent of their sins. It, it's, that's really the theme that carries on in the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, mourn their sinfulness. For the promises, they will be comforted. They will be forgiven. So until we recognize our need for God, and that's what Jesus is saying here, we can't even begin the journey of faith. It begins when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty, our brokenness, our dependence on, and our need for God. I mean, think about it. The, the opposite of being poor in spirit is to be proud in spirit or full of self. And when we're full and full of self, there really is no room for God. I don't know how many times this has happened. Maybe it's happened to you. But I was in a restaurant one day meeting up with a friend. And I'm a coffee lover, and I bet there are a lot of you out there. Um, but on this occasion, I decided to have hot tea. And the waitress came over and just automatically filled my half-full cup of tea with steaming hot black coffee. Whew to the brim. And so I sat there. I mean, it would have been great if I'd been drinking coffee, right? But I sat there looking at my useless cup of half-full tea and half-full coffee, this mixed blend that really wasn't serving any purpose. It was full. I mean, nothing could be added to fix it, right? It really just needed to be emptied in order to be refilled. And in essence, Jesus is saying, Blessed are you when you aren't so full of yourself and your accomplishments and your stuff that you see your need for me, that you see, you recognize your need for me. In Luke 18, he, he described a, a, a Pharisee who prayed a beautiful prayer. <laughs> yeah, not so beautiful in this one. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer over here. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all I get. <laughs> I do this, I do that. I am so great. God, if only you had more people like me on your team. <laughs> he was full of himself. He thought he lacked nothing. But in the next verse, Jesus pictures, and I love how the Lord does, does, drops bombs on us so gently in Scripture, but he described a man who was poor in spirit. And he begins by saying, now, the tax collector, in other words, the scum of the earth who was guilty of, a, of, of extortion. <laughs> the Lord has a way of getting our attention, right? He says, the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, that attitude is a magnet for the presence and power of God in our life. Psalm 51, David said, 
a humble and contrite heart, God will not despise. A humble and contrite heart, but not everyone recognizes their spiritual poverty. Um, Jesus said this about the church at Laodicea. He said, you say, I'm rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's saying, you don't even realize your need. You have eyes but do not see. But, he says, in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have an honest appraisal of their spiritual condition because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My, my favorite translation of Matthew 5.3 is found in the message translation. And it says, you are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. Have you ever felt blessed at the end of your rope? <laughs> but this is why. He says, with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Some of you here are football fans. Some of you here, as much as you love summer, you're looking forward to fall. Every year, I don't know if you knew this, but every year before the Super Bowl is played, there's a Christian organization known as Athletes in Action, and they host a Super Bowl breakfast, and many professional athletes and coaches uh, attend this breakfast. Well, one particular year, Chris Carter was invited to speak. Now, if you are a Minnesota Vikings fan, and I know we have a few here, you would remember Chris Carter. He was a fantastic receiver. He's now retired, but he was invited to speak, and he came to the podium, and he said, every stage of my life, I've always been the best football player. I've always been the best wherever I went, whether it was elementary school, junior high, high school, college, and even in the pros. But do you know what the turning point in my life was? It was when I was cut by the Philadelphia Eagles football team and coach Buddy Ryan. Now when Carter said the word cut, his voice cracked and his eyes teared up. And suddenly the breakfast became more than just a media event. It became very real because everyone in that room could relate to Chris Carter. He went on to say this, for the first time in my life, I looked around and I realized there was a team who didn't want me. And I had to come face to face with an inventory of my life. I had to look around and ask the question, what resources do I have to draw upon? And in that moment, for the first time in my life, I said, God, I need help. <laughs> he goes on to say, there was nothing magical, no bright lights, but in a very calm and real way, God reached out to me in the weeks and months after I prayed that prayer, and God found me when I was at the end of my rope, and he restored my soul. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, that is the starting point. The Beatitudes help us to see that if you are looking for true and lasting happiness, and, and really who isn't, you can find it in Jesus. He said, Jesus himself said in John 15, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see your need for God in your life? Maybe some of you walked with God a long time, but maybe he's just felt very distant. Sometimes we just need to reach out, as Jim prayed this morning, cry out. Sometimes we just need to cry out to God and say, God, 
I need you. I need refreshing. I need a new start. Because here's the thing. Such a person who prays that prayer very simply is bound to find the very reason for all of life and the incoming of God's kingdom. And we say, what do you mean, incoming of God's kingdom? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we say a phrase, thy kingdom come, right? Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is, is really just the government of God in a person's life. The king has set up his reign <laughs> in our lives. Uh, put it another way, the person who is poor in spirit will defer to the, to the rule and reign of God in their life. Is God, you are Lord. In other words, we, we come under new management. <laughs> we used to say there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> we are no longer king of our own castle kind of thing. Above all else, we want to do God's will more than our own, no matter what. And all of that sounds simple <laughs> to say, and it's simple on paper. It's not so simple to live out in our daily reality because we're proud people. And, and, and sometimes we don't want our lives to be run by someone else and, and sometimes not even by God himself. <clears throat> At times our loyalties are even just divided. But here's the thing, and I hope you can hear this today. A humble spirit that recognizes its need is a magnet, a magnet for the peace and power and presence of God in their life. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to those who mourn. He's close to those with a, a humble and contrite heart. It says he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And what else is cool? <laughs> the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become. The closer we get to him, the more we recognize our need for more of him at work in our lives. The, the poorer we become, the more we realize that, that everything in life is a gift. Everything in life, there, there isn't that sense of entitlement, I guess you could say. Everything, every good thing, it's a gift. In a conversation, the poor in spirit will always leave the other person with the feeling, my life has been enriched by talking with them. It's not all one-sided. The poor in spirit listen well. They are teachable because they know they still have so much to learn. The poor in spirit don't push themselves on others. They're sympathetic. The poor in spirit are the most non-judgmental people in the world. They get along quite well with sinners <laughs> because they realize and are very well acquainted with the fact that they do not have it all together. <laughs> and people who are poor in spirit realize that he or she does not love others as much or as well as we wish we did. Poor in spirit. How do we become more of what Jesus was describing here? Well, James 4 tells us so much to help us. It says that God opposes the proud, and it's kind of a picture of God turning his back on someone who is proud in, in their hearts. And it says, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 in that same passage says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And in due time, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. 
That's where it begins, this life worth living. So how do we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? Well, there are several ways, no doubt, but I just, I like practical ways to close out a service, and we're going to be closing in just a minute after this, but think about these seven I've come up with things. Number one, think much about the greatness of God. When he becomes big, we become small. When he becomes big, our self-absorption and our problems become small. Number two, give God genuine gratitude for all the gifts, benefits, and blessings. Name them. Remind yourself that every good gift is from him. I love the, the verse that says, his mercies are new every morning. It's, it's a good reminder. Number three, concentrate on the consistency of Christ. See how patient and how faithful, how understanding he has been with you. And number four, contemplate the cost of Calvary for our forgiveness. What a cost, what a price was paid. Number five, consider the remarkable generosity of God, not only reconciling you to himself, but also calling you his child. And number six, think back to all the ways that God pursued you and he drew you to himself. And lastly, contemplate in awe and wonder the remarkable selflessness of a living God who always acts only in your best interest. And if you do these things, you will become humble in spirit. You will grow in your gratitude and your daily joy that comes not from the stuff of life, but from the living God living within us, working all things together for our good. You'll become humble in spirit, but rich, rich, in the presence and power of God. His life will become your life, and you will know the deep-seated joy that only he can give. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, it is a joy to know and walk with you, and I know that some may have felt a little bit distant in recent days, and maybe just the pace and stuff of life sometimes uh, creates distance, Lord. We get busy, we get distracted, we lose our focus, we lose time with you, but I pray that today would be a turnaround day, a turnaround time where we say, oh God, I wanna begin a new, a fresh and new walking in relationship, close relationship with you. Let the joy of the Lord be my strength. <laughs> Lord, lots of us need a fresh touch. How I pray that we would just reach out to you and say, oh God, help me. Help me to fall in love with you. Help me to know the joy of your salvation, to recognize the gifts that come through this incredible giver, the lover of our souls, and let it begin today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. As always, at the end of the service, our, our, our altars are open. If you'd like to just come and pray, bring a friend, or, or just would like to, uh, even after the service, if you'd like to talk to Pastor Nancy, she'll be out in the foyer. You can talk with her about what you've heard this morning, if God is, is speaking to your heart. But as we sing this song, don't, don't wait. Come to the altar, whatever you may need to do. Just Let's just spend some time with God and reconciling what we've heard this morning.
sing this with us.
to pray. Here I am, Lord. I am available. And it's really just an invitation to say, God, do a new thing in me. Do what you will in me. What a great way to, to begin this day and this summer season saying, I want a brand new start with the living God. Let us close our hearts, our eyes, and um, our heads as we pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for who you are this morning. We thank you for walking with us, for inviting us to uh, walk this journey of faith each and every day with you. Lord, we are yours. We are available. Show us your will. Guide us in your paths and lead us, O oh God. <laughs> and Lord, as we go out into this day and enjoy this beautiful summer season, and particularly this 4th of July, Lord, I'm just reminded of the freedom that we have in this country and that we celebrate and the independence that we've experienced. And I pray, Father, that we would walk with gratitude at the freedoms that we have, but we would also be reminded of the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. And we celebrate you, O oh God, and what you have given to us. So I thank you, Lord, and I thank you for what you're, you're doing in our midst. Thank you for going before us as we head out the door and into the week ahead. Remind us of your near presence, and we will not forget to give you praise and glory. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Have a great week, everybody. God bless, and happy 4th of July. <laughs> Here I am.